I'm Riley. And I'm Taylor. Welcome to Happy Hour Film Club, the podcast where we talk about movies over cocktails. Today's theme is Pride. We figured since it is Pride Month, now would be a great time to talk about some of our very most favorite LGBTQ plus focused films and features. As usual, we do try to avoid major spoilers, but sometimes they do happen. So we discuss the films, but we also try really hard to talk about them in a way that is both entertaining and leaves you still wanting to watch. Hello and welcome. It's Pride Month, so we have two LGBTQ plus films to talk about today. Um, And I don't know about you, but I did have some trouble picking what film I wanted to do because I definitely, we talked about a couple films that um, we did not end up choosing, but were favorites of ours, especially some newer films that have come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, well, this isn't a recent film, but it's one of my favorites, but um, I was originally going to go with uh, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, Mm. because I love that film. Yeah, well, and I was thinking of The Birdcage, which I guess is not a new one either. Is that 90s? Uh, Yeah, The Birdcage came out in early 90s. That's what I thought. We've covered that film. I was going to say, we've already done that, and I would kick myself if I picked another 90s movie, because I just, like, cannot (laughs) get get out of that. I know, I'm stuck (laughs) in it. I wasn't even really around for much of the 90s, and I feel like I'm, you know, I'm living in the past here, people. Hey, a lot of great movies came out in the 90s. Agreed, agreed. Um, But... Uh, you also men- mentioned The Danish Girl, which yeah. I love that film. I do, too. It's one of my favorites. I watched it when I was in college, and I feel like The Danish Girl is similar, has some similarities to the film that you picked. So, in a way, I was kind of glad that I didn't choose The Danish Girl, just because I think that the films we chose have a little bit of variety in not just storytelling, but, like, the genre and, right. and kind of, yeah, just, like, plot lines and things like that are very different, so. Yeah. Do you feel like LGBTQ plus movies tend to be more, like, dramas? A lot of times, it you know, it's a romance because it's really focused on kind of exploring or... Yeah, I mean, just talking about your sexuality, I guess, it, it has a, is a main point of the films. I think oftentimes when you have characters that are LGBTQ+, that don't really, we don't talk about their sexuality, the movie tends to be about something else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then yeah. it's like, what can, do you have a comedy, maybe like a rom-com, I would think, but just a comedy that's LGBTQ+. plus. I'm not really sure what that would look like. You know what I mean? Like, other than... I mean, The Birdcage is funny. Like, that's a oh, comedy. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right. But it still has to do... There's a lot to do with relationships, and it's a drama as well. It's talking yeah. about familial relationships. Because I think there's always that point of contention mm-hmm. with those films. Because it's about, oftentimes, acceptance... 
or like identity right yeah finding your identity or having to consistently like explain your identity Mm. and yeah I think even with some recent films like uh Love Simon did you ever see that no I haven't I really didn't like it uh, personally for for some specific reason I feel like they um there was some like forced coming coming out moments that sort of happened um is it like it's like a teenage drama right yeah yeah it's a teenage kind of love story um it's got these two boys but really it comes to a point where i feel like our main character puts their prospective partner in a position where they have to come out and I don't like that at all. I thought it was really, yeah, it was, it was not very sensitive, not super well done. But it, I feel like a lot of people really liked the movie. So, I don't oh, know. You know, another one I just thought of, and of course I can't think of the name, but it came out during Christmas time on Hulu. And it had um, Daniel Levy. And it was a Christmas, the movie was about... Um, a young woman bringing home her partner for Christmas time, but she wasn't out yet, and so she brought her home as a friend. But then, yeah, and Daniel Levy from Schitt's Creek was in it. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. No, that's but a I, great one. Somebody talked. Maybe it was it's you funny. talking about it's, it. It's funny. It's definitely a comedy, but it definitely also deals a lot with LGBTQ plus characters and mm-hmm. kind of yeah, it's you know a lot of the characters or the the main characters are in that relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah it's but it's also the classic like meet the parents and like come home for christmas type thing too right well and i was thinking that to me that makes sense like a comedy that sort of centers around meeting the family i could totally see that or like there are always moments in these films where someone says something typically that's like inappropriate or they're asking a question because I think they're genuinely curious. They're just not using appropriate language to ask those questions. And so it's super cringy, but oftentimes a little funny because you're like, whoa, why did you say it like that? And it's just like, oh my gosh, that's so awkward. Ah. So I think those cringe moments definitely happen a lot in these films as well. Yeah. So it's called Happiest Season mm. and it's got Kristen Stewart in it. Oh, that's She's right. one of the main okay. characters. Yep. And then Mackenzie Davis and Mary Steenbergen are the other two. Okay. Um, but it's... I, I recommend it. It's it's a good one. What's it called to, again? It's called Happiest Season. Happiest Season. It's kind of a movie. newer, different Christmas movie mm-hmm. kind of to, to watch during the holidays. Okay. All um, right. And then there's great documentaries out there, too. Like, um, mm-hmm. what is the... I think the... The biggest one is Paris. Paris is burning. Oh, Paris is burning. Paris is burning. Mm-hmm. Which I've never seen, but I've heard really good things about. I mean, it's quite sad. It's very sad. But, um, but it's a great documentary. Yeah. There's also one of my favorite TV shows um, is Sex Education that's on. Mm-hmm. And it's a comedy, but it's, you know, it's a romantic comedy. It's dealing with coming of age, all these kids exploring sexuality um like the physical side of it and also the identity side of it and they do a really good job of with their lgbtq plus characters 
their storytelling for them and surrounding them is just really well done. Like, and there, there are, each person kind of has their own thing going on, but I really like the approach they take with it. It's really, really funny. Like, I think it's hysterical. Um, but it, it's also very honest and it's got some really heartfelt moments and a lot of like, I don't know, they, there's a, a point in which one of the characters who is gay, they're trying to kind of figure out, you know, how, how do you have sex with a male partner? Like, they don't really know how to do that and how to prepare for that. And so it's kind of a really honest conversation that you see happening. It's still funny. What's it called? Sex Education. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's very, very good. I really like it. And it's on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think there's two, maybe three seasons. I've watched all of it. Super good. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I just thought of, I had the opportunity to watch it a couple years ago, was uh, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Ooh, okay. And that was a great documentary. Yeah. I think it was, yeah, I watched it on, like, a Netflix watch party, mm-hmm. and it was super informative. I learned a lot that I had no idea about. It's about the uh, genesis of Pride. Gotcha. The event mm-hmm. and um, the Stonewall riots. Okay. And the activists that started the movement that is now known as Pride. Mm, very cool. Have you not seen it? No, I've not seen it. Mm-mm. Oh. It's very, very good. There's also, it makes me think of uh, Milk. Did you ever watch that? About I've not. Harvey Milk. That's really, really good. And it has to do with his political career, but really? also, you know, his involvement with the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. It's such a good movie. Very, very good as well. Definitely worth watching. It's super sad. I mean, it's a, it's a rough one, but definitely worth it if you're, if you're in a good headspace for it. All right. Well, um, what movie did you choose? So I chose Call Me By Your Name. So fairly, fairly recent film within the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I chose um, A Fantastic Woman, which I think came out around the same time as Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had never seen A Fantastic Woman. so. And I had never seen either, so both <laughs> movies were new to me, so I got to watch two new movies this Love week. Love it. Okay, I'm excited to talk about them. Right, so we got some drinks here. Nick, tell us what you made us today. Hi, so I made watermelon vodka ritas because it felt like a it felt like a need for a watermelon drink because we're getting in the summer, and uh, Riley doesn't like tequila, so we found a drink that works for everybody. Oh my it's gosh, a, you're a, so sweet. <laughs> It's, I saw the what? bottle of vodka and I was like, "Oh, this would be good with tequila." <laughs> but it, it but, would be. But I was like, "Oh, but Riley doesn't like tequila." I, mean, I feel like we've done a lot of tequila drinks recently, so I'm excited to try this. We've made you suffer long enough. Yeah, I do appreciate you shaking things <laughs> up just for me, but mm. it's good to have variety. Okay, we have to try different liquors and things it smells amazing oh it's it's delicious i will Mm. i will say that it is very very good and it's a lovely pink pink color yeah it's a nice like it's like my favorite color of pink 
too. Yeah, like a soft, rosy pink. Mm-hmm. Kind of that grapefruit sort of color mm-hmm. on the inside. It tastes so good. It tastes it very it good. It tastes really, really good. So what all is in it? Because, okay, vodka, watermelon. Mm-hmm. So we are doing, so you're supposed to do um, a vodka, a watermelon flavored mm-hmm. vodka, but I did not. We just have normal vodka. Um, uh, watermelon juice, uh, we did fresh. So you basically just take a bunch of chunks of watermelon and throw it in a blender or smash mm-hmm. it all up and strain it. Nola's really mad. She doesn't have, uh, you're going to be hearing lots of chewing noises here in a minute. Uh, so watermelon juice that we fresh made, uh, lime juice that we also fresh squeezed, uh, simple syrup and orange liqueur. So what you're going to do for that is, uh, two ounces of, uh, vodka, ounce and a half of watermelon juice, surprisingly not that much, uh, three quarter ounce lime juice, uh, three quarter ounce simple syrup, and a quarter ounce of orange liqueur, triple sec, or if you're fancy, contra or stuff like that. Um, throw all that in a shaker with ice, shake it all up, and serve it over ice. Nice. Yeah, it yeah. tastes like a, um, yeah, I don't know, like a drunken watermelon. Basically. I mean, <laughs> I would love, so at some point in my life, I would love to just, like, cut open a watermelon with, like, a hand blender and then just, like, blend up the inside. Mm-hmm. I've seen where that. people will put, put, like, a spigot mm-hmm. in, like, a watermelon and like infuse like, it? Like they'll hollow out the watermelon and they'll drill a hole and put in like a, a spigot. Mm-hmm. Like a drink pourer. And um, and then fo- fill it with some sort of beverage. I mean, basically punch. Yeah, yeah, punch your beverage. Yeah. And, and then you could just like get your drink straight out of the watermelon. Yeah. No, this would make an excellent like punch to like bring it up to more of like a pitcher status mm. oh yeah this would be a really great drink for that um, pitcher. yum <laughs> <laughs> yeah because uh taylor and i just got back from a trip to canada and in there we were at a museum and we learned about a punch fun but probably the one piece of history lesson that really stuck with me was that the punch was an Indian thing that was then taken over to England. Hmm. You know, when they colonized it and did all that fun stuff. Um, But this was like the 16th century, I believe, and uh, they kind of had the the first kind of idea for the punch. Or the first like kind of written thought through of like what a punch is. Yeah, Hmm. it was during the Rococo era and it was like a spiced punch Ooh, okay interesting and yeah basically british colonizers took it from india Mm -hmm. and then brought it to their home country yeah so it was the late 1600s they appropriated punch yeah so they appropriated punch (laughs) so of course you're welcome (laughs) so i thought that was interesting because i didn't know yeah so it's, it's the late 1600s that it was brought over to england and basically five ingredients were usually combined to make a punch. Um, and it was uh, alcohol, uh, water, lemon juice, sugar, and spices. Like such as like nutmeg or cinnamon. Mm-hmm. 
like mm. a spiced. Yeah. Punch. Yeah, I was trying to think of like a like a spiced rum, mm-hmm. kind yeah. of like how that is. Like, that popular. makes sense since a lot of spices and tea, like came from other countries. Right. Um, that punch would also be part of that. Yeah. Well, and Especially it's clearly like a spiced punch. Right. It's transition a lot because we don't typically put spices in a punch. I've never had a punch where you add anything like that. It's a holiday thing, like a spiced, well, like what you said, a spiced rum with like the Mm. oranges and the cloves and Mm. allspice and nutmeg and the like, um, oh, is it like the leaves? Not like a bay leaf, but like a, I don't know, definitely like cinnamon sticks. Yeah, Mm. definitely like cinnamon sticks and fruit and Mm -hmm. yeah. See, I'm, right. I think Delicious. very much like a, like a dance or something, you know, like oh. you spike the punch, like something very fruity and yeah, sweet like and like not, not a lot of spice, just like more like this drink, honestly, just like yeah. fruity, sweet, yes. refreshing. My family's punch that we used to do every Christmas is like an abomination. Um, don't, I guess don't tell my family I said that, but, um. <laughs> Your mom's gonna listen to this anyway. I'm like, they don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was 7-Up, Ho- Hawaiian Punch, and Sher- Sherbert. And that I mean, that it. sounds delicious. I mean, it was. I mean, it's I great. I don't think that, that's, that's common, though. I feel like I, I've definitely had punch just like that before. Yeah. It was like a full liter 7-Up and then half a liter of Hawaiian Punch and then, yeah, just a whole carton of, like, rainbow sh- sherbet and, like, the sherbet made it all, like, fizzy. Like, foamy at the top. Foamy, yeah, mm-hmm. foamy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you got, like, a chunk of the sher- sherbet in your, like, cup, it was, like, a good, it was a good day. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> like a, like, a root beer float, but a punch float kind of exactly. thing. Exactly, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I think of when I think so of So sugary, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you think about, like, any concoction, because, like, to me, a punch... Is also similar to like jungle juice, or there's this one called we called it leprechaun piss. I think you can call it something else. <laughs> that sounds offensive. Uh, I'm sure it is. Uh, I mean, we do appropriate everything. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like Mountain Dew and uh, that instant lemonade powder, you know, and then lots of vodka, just tons of vodka. And then you can also do, um, sometimes you would add, like, Gatorade. Oh like the God. Like the yellow Gatorade. So it just looked like this greenish-yellow concoction. Yeah. And it got you very drunk um, successfully. And popped up on sugar. But so just sweet. Like, oh, yeah. Just, like, a full thing of, like, that lemonade punch. Yes. Or the powder. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're sugar I, drunk at that I time. remember doing that in, you know, those it big sounds like a headache. sports <laughs> Gatorade containers. You know, it was in one of those. Like, yeah. we just kept dumping more and more oh. in. Oh. Well, that that's classier than just, like, a like a plastic tote, like a storage tote. Is that what you do? Well, I was at a party once where that was <laughs> what the punch was in. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We, okay, so we had for band those big Gatorade things that I'm talking about, like where you put all the, yeah, the you big, like water, yeah, like a big a, sports thing. Yeah, and it's got a spigot at the bottom, like a push button mm-hmm. spout at the bottom, yeah. So we would have basically like that instant Gatorade powder you would add to the water and you'd mix it up, or we had just regular water. Yeah. Well... It was so deep that if you had a spoon and the powder was at the bottom, like, the spoon doesn't really reach the bottom of that jug. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the band moms 
So I'm standing in line to get food. My mom comes up to me because she was also a band mom. And she just goes, don't drink the Gatorade. Don't drink the and Gatorade. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> like so <a> <laughs> later, she tells me that one of the band moms just like rolls her sleeve up. plunges her entire arm into the Gatorade thing and just starts swishing it around with her hand. Mind you, it's like 95 degrees outside. So you know that just like all that sweat and gunk from helping move all the instruments and being outside is now mixed into this horrific Gatorade-esque concoction. Is this like a band camp story? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So, don't drink the Gatorade. Don't drink the Gatorade. Oh, that Awful. sounds horrific. Anyway, and don't mix your drinks with your arm. It's true. You know. For public consumption. Or your own. Or I'm, your own. I'm, you know, I just, just, I don't trust where my, just don't. I don't, you know, I well, don't want to stick my whoa, hand whoa, whoa, in there. Let's, let's be clear, if, if personal consumption involves you sticking, like, your whole <laughs> arm, you should probably not be drinking that much. <laughs> Uh, it should be at most like just, a like a finger. She was just trying to dislodge the the congealed powder at the bottom. No, no, I get that. Thank that's, goodness that's she scraped it up with her bare hand. Exactly, and that's group consumption. And sure, whatever. Oh, like, yeah, no. you, the weird stuff that happens for group consumption. Sure. Sounds Frankly, odd. I'd rather someone just spit in it than reach their entire arm <laughs> into the gate. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, you don't even have the uh, alcohol <clears> to kind of just like kill all that bacteria. No, none of that's getting burned none of off. It, none it's of it. just oh. floating around in there. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty horrific. Yeah, terrifying. So did you take your mom's advice? Oh, yes. Okay, good. No, good. I trust her with my life, clearly. <laughs> I wouldn't... No, if she says, here, don't drink so the Gatorade, don't. don't drink the Gatorade. That's true. You know. But speaking of drinking, you should definitely drink this watermelon drink. It's Ooh. delicious. You're already done with yours, Nick. I would oh, love yeah. to have a picture of this. Oh, no. This just be... sitting outside on Ooh. the porch. Oh, I was going to say, like, a picture with one of those, like, uh, curly straws. Oh. You know, <laughs> just, like, stick it in and mm-hmm. sit there with it and slurp it out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Mm. This would also be really good, like, to, like, freeze probably that watermelon juice, too. Mm. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, more like a slushy. Mm-hmm. That'd be delicious. Oh, like a frozen margarita kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said, it, so you called it a vodka Rita. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, what is it? <laughs> like, is it different? What am I drinking? Can you do a margarita with vodka? Or does a moder, a moder, a, a margarita, oh my god, not a moderita, a margarita have to have tequila in it for I, mean, I don't think I've heard of a vodka Rita. Well, that okay, so. Like, did you so, make it up? That sounds like, <gasps> bull, that sounds bullshit. No, this is, this is a play on words, because obviously. You're fired. Uh, okay. Well, bye everybody. I'm like, if there's no tequila in this, don't call it a Rita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear that Bud Light? Don't call it a Rita. Yeah. yeah. Do they have a Bud Light Rita? Mm-hmm. I don't know what they have. Yeah. Someone has a what they call a Rita drink, and, and it's awful. Rude. Yeah. Actually, uh, that does sound familiar. It's like in a can, right? Yeah, it's in yeah. a can. It's a can mm-hmm. drink. But this just was a nice drink mm-hmm. overall because, you know, I love watermelon-based drinks. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter the spirit that goes into them, but um, they called it a Rita, but... Um, Honestly, you can still call it a margarita, like mix whatever 
spirit you want in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really kind of up to the individual. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you honestly, know? any... <clears throat> there like, are new rules. There, I mean, kind of. It's just kind of made up at the end of the day by people. Like, there's no, like... I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but, um, you know, I don't think that there's, like, a, a designation. Like, like obviously, like, with mules, like, you have, like, a Moscow mule and a Kentucky mule and uh, a Mexican mule. And, you know, you just have a lot of different variations of it just mm-hmm. based on the spirit that you have. But, like, at the end of the day, it's still a mule. Like, it's mm-hmm. still going to be the same thing. Like, same thing with the margarita. I mean, really, like, margarita and daiquiri are pretty interchangeable because um, it's just tequila versus rum. And I can go about this all day long, but... Like, the ratios. Like, the foundation of it, The right? foundation of it, it and what you similar, do to make but... the drink is exactly the same. And mm-hmm. it's just, like... Just different liquor. It's just a different liquor, and because of that, they call it a different name. So it's just one mm-hmm. of those, it's like, you know... Put stuff in a cup, and if you like it and it tastes good, then that's a good drink, and yeah. I can't fault you for that. And this would work with almost anything. Like yeah, it'd be good with gin, tequila. I don't know if it'd be good with maybe a clear rum. I was gonna say any clear liquor. I yeah. think would be great with this. I was yeah. also thinking you could totally do some kind of like wine spritzer type deal if you threw in like a yeah. Like some kind of Zinfandel or something. Ooh. And you had like a, you could do, this is if you're really wanting to get boozy, but you yeah. could do the vodka and you could throw some Zinfandel in there to give it that little bit of a tang. Yeah. And or like then, a white wine or a rosé. Mm-hmm. Or even like a sparkling wine just to give it yeah. some bubbles to it. Yeah, I was trying to think. Champagne. Champagne. Oh. Ooh. I mean, That'd be good. Yeah. I was trying to think what they drink in Call Me By Your Name, and I was thinking maybe they drink, like, Prosecco, since it was in Italy, but I can't remember. Is it a Prosecco? I mean, I know in Italy they have Campari-based drinks, too, so Mm. I'm sure that they had Campari in that film, but... Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you made an amazing drink, Nick, so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I already finished mine. I know. I'm almost done with mine. I'm savoring it. Yeah. like... You luscious. Oh gosh. Nola's throwing a fit. She's like, all right. She's like, I didn't get one. I didn't get one, guys. (laughs) Okay, is it bad that we always joke about your dog drinking? Like, just a disclaimer. Like, we don't actually get one. I just think we like humanizing her. Like, she's one of us. She's part of the family. She is. Mm -hmm. She's our our child. Always heard in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's a a podcast queen, too. Mm -hmm. She's here. Yeah. She's here for it. But no, we never, ever, ever. (laughs) No dogs were uh, fed alcohol in the making of this podcast. Yeah, please don't feed your dogs alcohol. No, do not. (laughs) But if you would like to make this drink, we will leave it in the description uh we also put it on the every social post that we do um when we launch the episodes so definitely go out and make this drink it's really really good it's probably gonna be a summer drink that we do because we'll pretty much have watermelon with us like all summer mm-hmm. so yeah go out and make it yeah thanks so much nick yeah of course cheers 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 okay so today, Taylor, you're going to talk about a fantastic woman, which I really enjoyed watching. Um, so take it away. So A Fantastic Woman is a Chilean film, and in Spanish it is titled Una Mujer Fantastica, uh, directed by Sebastian 
Lelio and written by Lelio and Gonzalo Maza and produced by Juan de Dios and Pablo Lorraine. It premiered in 2017 at the Berlin International Film Festival and it stars Daniela Vega as Marina, our title character of A Fantastic Woman, and Francisco Reyes, who plays Orlando, her boyfriend and partner. The film starts out with Marina and Orlando celebrating her birthday. They are very much in love and planning for the future together. Marina is a young trans woman who works as a waitress and an aspiring singer. Orlando is roughly 20 years older than her and owns a printing company in Santiago. After celebrating and spending a romantic evening together, Orlando falls seriously ill. He has kind of a brain aneurysm suddenly and Marina rushes him to the emergency room, but he passes away just after arriving at the hospital. And Instead of being able to mourn her lover, suddenly Marina is treated with suspicion. She doesn't know what to do, and after calling Orlando's brother to tell him the news, she kind of runs from the hospital. Obviously, she's dealing with a lot of grief. Um, and the doctors and Orlando's family don't trust her, and consequently, she is contacted by a detective who investigates Marina to see if she was involved in his death. Um, Orlando's ex-wife forbids her from attending the funeral and to make matters worse Orlando's son threatens to throw Marina out of the flat she shared with Orlando uh, she faces much discrimination humiliation harassment and violence from the investigators and Orlando's family who you know, treat her like an aberration or a perversion they really don't understand her relationship with um Orlando and she does this all while feeling the great grief that comes with losing a loved one. Uh, Marina struggles for the right to be herself and she battles the very same forces that she has spent a lifetime fighting just to become the woman she is now, a complex, strong, forthright, and fantastic woman. Um, I think a standout for this film is Daniela Vega's performance. It's absolutely breathtaking. She's stunning. Um, and interestingly, she's a Chilean actress and mezzo-soprano singer. And so uh, she's an aspiring, her character plays an aspiring um, singer. And throughout the film, it's actually her singing. Uh, so yeah, Daniela Vega. I thought that was really cool. So I looked that up also just because I, I was curious to know if that was her voice or not. And it said, yeah, all the opera pieces um, were her own, and that was her her actual voice, which is just very cool. It kind of takes me back to when you were in in the early days of film. It was kind of a requirement to be able to sing and act. You couldn't really do just one or the other. Yeah. Um, you had to be the whole package, and she absolutely is. And it's such a subtle film in in the way of her performance too because you have a lot of moments where you're just kind of holding on her expressions and she does such a good job you just you know exactly what she's thinking and feeling as it's happening which yeah just comes across so well um i did 
It was interesting because the beginning of the film starts off with Orlando, her boyfriend, and so it really threw me for a twist when the story begins to be about her instead. I really thought it, it kind of tricks you into thinking that this is his story. Right. And then it totally flip-flops, which yeah. I really love. You know, it's pretty unsuspecting because you get to know one character, but not really the other. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And then... And he dies very soon in the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you don't really... You don't get introduced to her for a while, really, until, like, he goes and shows up at um, the club where yeah. she's singing. Mm-hmm. And you you see that there's some kind of connection. But at first I was like, oh, she's just hitting on him. <laughs> I just thought it was just some, you know, random guy that walks in and she's like, oh, he's kind of hot, you know? Yeah, I kind of thought that was the start of their relationship. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. No. Because then they go on to celebrate her birthday together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was really cool. Um, I also, the cinematography was great and they did something where they incorporated Orlando throughout the film. She kind of sees his presence and the ghost of him. Mm -hmm. And I don't always love that. Sometimes it can feel a little cheesy or gimmicky and like, like it doesn't quite fit, but it worked so well with this because the way the film is set up, it's quite subtle. And then you have these really, um kind of eccentric moments of dance performance or of there's one scene that sticks out to me where she's walking down the sidewalk and it's happening um while you hear her singing opera like it's overlaid and they have some big wind funnel machine something and it starts like blowing against her and she has to like lean into it until she's literally like starting to go not Par- or not parallel, horizontal. Like, she's really, like, she's putting all of her weight against the wind. And it's kind of this quirky, artistic, um, like, non-traditional scene because it doesn't quite fit the rest of the movie, but it works super mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So they have these moments sprinkled throughout that are, like, juxtapositioning how subtle everything is and then showing you a scene that's kind of lavish and extravagant and a little more creative. Yeah, and even how the movie begins, it's of waterfalls. Mm-hmm. And it's, you don't immediately understand the context of why we're seeing beauty shots of these waterfalls. It almost kind of reminded me of like a Lars von Trier film. Mm. And then you go into a spa and, you know, you see a Uh, Orlando getting like a massage and you just you're trying to like piece together the visuals Mm -hmm. so yeah it's very artistic film Mm -hmm. and the lighting there's a lot of flashing lights I don't know if you noticed that Mm -hmm. but lots and lots of flashing lots of flashing lights uh I really like the discotheca scenes like those were really well done Mm -hmm. um I do wonder so anytime you're watching a foreign film and you're reliant on subtitles. I'm always curious about the translation. Because there were a couple times when I thought, man, I really wish I was able to speak the language or understand it so I could understand exactly what they were saying. Because for me, sometimes it takes me out of it just a little bit because the phrasing is awkward. Yeah. Um, because it's not just translated, it's like verbatim, right? So it's almost like if they had 
if subtitles were interpreted, I wonder if you would feel differently about how things are presented, if right. that makes sense. But there was one moment where the ex-wife is um, saying that she, our main character, is like a chimera, chimera, just like a fire-breathing, snake-headed Greek uh, monster. Because I had to look it up. I was like, what's that? Why is she calling her that? And I looked it up. I was like, is that normal? Do people normally say that? Or yeah, is I it think, like... I think a chimera, I think... And yeah, you're right. Like, the translation is something to consider. But, you know, I took that as like... Oh, because she's she says, I don't know what to think when I look at you. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. It, and when she uses the word chimera, I think she's like, you're a monster. Yes. Yeah. And I... Uh, yeah. But, like, it's all in translation and right. some of that context, that, like, language barrier, mm-hmm. you're watching it in a different context than what the filmmakers originally intended. Right. As someone who doesn't speak that language. Right. Yeah. There was also, I think the last thing that really... I mean, it just... It sticks with me, and it, it was another thing that I had to kind of do a little bit of research on was when you get, like, a physical examination to see if you have been involved in any kind of, like, violent crime. I was trying to figure out, because in the film, this detective takes her in for an examination, like, a, a physical, without telling her what's going to happen. And she's like, no, I really don't want to do this absolutely not, da-da-da-da-da, and they basically treat her like a lab rat. They make her undress, and they take photos of her, and the doctor or whoever he is that's, like, giving the examination, they're, like, whispering in the background, and he's kind of saying, like, I owe you one, thanks for doing this, and I was confused about that. It was very confusing, and I just chalked that up to, again, maybe the language translation, and also not knowing how the law is in in Chile because like obviously they think or they suspect there's enough suspicion that there's an investigation in that like oh how did he die Mm -hmm. Um, because he came in with bruises and contusions because unfortunately when she was trying to get him to the hospital he like fell down some stairs because he was yeah very unsteady and she was trying to she was, like, get him in, in the, the apartment, car. and yeah. then he tries to go down the stairs by himself. And, right, and he falls, right. and so he comes in with all these bruises, and the family is very concerned and suspicious, and clearly they don't know her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that was that scene was very hard to watch, mm-hmm. um, and it was very confusing what was going on. But yeah. I kind of was like, well, maybe... Maybe the translation is just a little odd or something. It was very sad. It was really hard to watch. Yeah. It was just seeing someone kind of, you know, put in a position where either being being threatened, right? If if you don't do this, then we're going to... being actively coerced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in many ways, yeah, there, there are a lot of moments that are... I would say, brinking on sexual assault because of, you know, being forced to take your clothes off and having them take pictures of you and having the detective, like, refuses to leave the room 
even though she's not a medical professional and not that's not really her job. Yeah, to and be it's not like there. lawyers were even involved. It mm-hmm. was a strange, not sh- well, yeah, it was. It felt like an odd part of the the movie. Yeah, but I think to show kind of her experience as a trans woman, mm-hmm. that was part of it. Yeah. Well, and there, yeah, there's some physical abuse that happens. Mm-hmm. She basically gets kidnapped at one point. Um, yeah, it was it, it was hard to watch. It was very sad. Um, and really the only, it was, it's definitely a drama. There was only one moment where I laughed at all, and it's when she jumps out of a car because she decides that she's going to go get her dog back, which I loved. I was like, ha, 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 like, yeah. Yeah. And then the rest of it was just... It was very sad. Horrifically sad to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. very difficult to But it's a beautifully cinematic film. Uh, I think it's definitely worth watching Mm -hmm. and maybe more on the obscure side. I don't know if a lot of people have heard of this film or not. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely went through the um, awards circuit. So the film won Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. Um, So not only is it the first Chilean film to win that award, and I think the third Latin America film also to win that award. Um, The first two were films from Argentina. Um, It is also the first transgender character-led movie to win an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Feature as well. Um, plus, Daniela Vega became the first openly transgender person to ever present at the Oscars uh, when she introduced Sufjan Stevens' performance of Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name, which is obviously the movie you chose, Riley. Mm-hmm. So these two films were um, at the Academy Awards at the same time, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really interesting. Um It's a neat coincidence, for sure. So I have some fun facts. Okay. Um, So Daniela Vega wasn't initially supposed to play the leading role in A Fantastic Woman and was approached by the director as a consultant on the research that he was carrying on about the the transgender Chilean community. And as Daniela began to share her personal experiences with him... He decided to entrust her with the role. So I thought that was really fun. Yeah. And um, also, I thought this was amazing. So a fantastic woman's Oscar win was utilized by Chilean LGBTQ activists to accelerate local discussions on a gender identity bill. And Chile subsequently approved laws for transgender citizens, sorry, citizens to change their official details in late 2018. So That's this awesome. was a film that helped spark change in Chile. That's amazing. Well, I mean, it it got so much traction, clearly. And I think when you have visibility like that, that's really what you need. And that's so unfortunate that you... Well, you know, in a way, no, I think actually with film, that's why I think film is so important, right? And because it shows a reality that you have not experienced yourself and it tells stories that you may never experience yourself. And so knowing that a story like this 
has a true impact on the world around us is really supportive of that, right? Like, because without this, and even now, I, I really think that the perspective on LGBTQ plus rights and the community, the changes that have happened in the last 10 years, it's because we have been, people have been conditioned to understand and seek it because if you don't see it and it's not a part of your community, then how do you, how is acceptance or that knowledge ever bestowed upon anyone? Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I think it, even people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm an ally and they've been allies for years that under, they may not have any understanding or experience with this. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, having having film that shows an experience and a journey that you will never have and may never experience yourself like is super powerful. Yeah. And I think that's why representation is so important. And I think that's why the conversation about representation is is being had on multiple levels, both mm-hmm. with audiences and content creators and writers and directors and actors. And, you know, we need to hopefully continue having those conversations because, um, yeah, it's really important because how do you... Well, and, yeah, film specifically, it has the opportunity to be shown to a much larger audience than you know, maybe a novel or, mm-hmm. you know, a book. So, yeah, the film industry, yes, it's, you know, grounded in entertainment. Mm-hmm. and But there's definitely films out there that are just worth watching just to be exposed to different people's experiences and seeing um, different perspectives on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that accessibility, too. You know, like, I think that's, that's important. It's just like, it creates accessibility. Yeah, I just, it's vital that these stories are being told. Okay, so that was a fantastic woman. And I'm excited to hear about Call Me By Your Name. Yes, so this film, Call Me By Your Name, is a romantic drama. It's centered around the 1983 Italian romance between 17-year-old Elio, played by Timothy Chalamet, and the young man that his father hires as a research assistant for the summer, Oliver, who is played by Army Hammer. Um, Also, I think it is interesting that both of our films are, uh, uh, like, directed by foreign directors and Call Me By Your Name, even though there's English in it, it's still a foreign film, like, it's all filmed in Italy. So, Mm -hmm. I just think that's an interesting connection also. Um, so the film was directed by Luca Guadagnino, which I'm probably butchering, um, an Italian director, and I want to preface that in Italy, the age of consent, at least during this time period, was 14, okay? So I feel like that's important context because when you're watching the film, a romance blossoming between a teenager and an adult even, albeit a young adult, Army Hammer is, like, a man, right? He's a very, like, manly-looking man. So, to me, it's a little off-putting and kind of creepy at first. 
if you don't have the context of the age of consent and also the fact that Timothy Chalamet during filming was 20 and Army Hammer was 29. So they weren't, he's not actually 17 years old. So I think that's important to know also. Right, but in the movie, his character is 17, and yes. I think Army Hammer's character was like 24 or 25. Yeah, he's 24 in the movie, and then, yeah, Timothy Chalamet's character is 17. Yeah, that but is to me, good context, though, because I had that in my head of like, mm-hmm. wait, like he's not even 18, but if the age of consent is different in Italy, especially in the early 80s, that that's good context to have when you watch this movie. And Timothy Chalamet's character... Elio is, like, smoking and drinking and going to discotecas and doing all of the same things that Army Hammer is because I think that the, yeah, the expectations or the reality surrounding um, that age, sort of the awareness of it was just different, right? Like, so you are allowed to smoke, you're allowed to drink. There aren't these, like, barriers, whereas in the U.S., like, when you're 17, you can't drink, <laughs> can't smoke, definitely right. can't go to a bar. Yeah. And, you know, if you're 24, you've been doing that for several years. Yeah. And you're in college. And there are all these other separations. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, it's totally different. And I think Elio was getting ready to go to college. Or maybe he already was in college. And Army Hammer's character, Oliver, was, like, post-grad. Mm-hmm. So still very much college-aged yeah quote-unquote kid college kid right but so they're kind of still also a grown-ass man (laughs) right exactly (laughs) so and timothy chalamet i mean he looks like he could be 14 to be honest like no no offense to him but he's he's kind of this gangly small guy and he looks very fresh-faced and young he looks like a teenager yes army hammer does not look like a teenager (laughs) no so the first time i watched it i was like oh that's like really creepy i don't think that's kind of fucked up actually i don't know about that but all that to say so there's some context for you before you watch the film um and we begin so for this too it's definitely a coming of age story all right so we've got a romantic drama coming of age and as many coming of age stories do this happens over a summer six weeks long. It's kind of a a very common trope of of our coming-of-age stories, right? So we begin in Elio's bedroom. So Oliver arrives and Elio helps him take his bags up to his room, which used to be um, Elio's old bedroom. And it's a fairly unsuspecting beginning. Oliver is jet-lagged and Elio is really awkward. Oliver comes across as kind of macho, too, saying things like, thanks, man, you know, to Elio. So he's got kind of this bro mentality. And we transition at the beginning between Italian and English, and that continues throughout the film, um, which I really enjoy, actually. And it's interesting because at first I thought, okay, well, maybe Oliver doesn't speak Italian, but he does. So it's kind of this interesting natural transition between two languages. Mm -hmm. Um, They set up Oliver's character well in making him a little uncertain in how to act in a new environment. Um, He tries to, like, crack an egg at breakfast and just, like, obliterates it. And it's one of those where it comes in, like, the little tiny cup and you're just supposed to, like, 
gently tap it on top and then you eat it out of the middle and he just like whacks it and it explodes very very funny but I also for anybody who has done any kind of international travel I think you would relate to some of those experiences of like he's doing things that seem very normal to him and then from Elio's perspective he's being kind of an ass you know like he says um Oliver often will be like later when he's leaving or you know, the end of the day or something. And Elio is like, that's like kind of arrogant and pretentious and like comes across, you know, as a little rude, you right. know. So it's just hearing it from one perspective versus another and also being like, oh yeah, I totally would have done that too. Like there's definitely a uh, a gap in understanding of the two cultures, like a very American culture and a very yeah. European culture. Oh, for sure. I think my favorite one is they kind of have this like estate that has all these fruit trees and, you know, I've never been to Italy, but um, I think their diet is very much different from American diets. Mm-hmm. And anyways, they have these like freshly pressed like apricot juice that's served and Army Hammer's character just slams it. Like he just gulps it down mm-hmm. and everyone else is just like sipping like mm-hmm. very slowly. Like um, I, I picture in Italy, yeah, they take their meals much slower. Mm-hmm. It's a very leisurely pace and he's just like riding his bike all around town and doing all these things and just being a very like productive like American. Right. Yeah, the the observance of time is much different, and the um, I think the importance of like meal time too, because they all sit down to have meals together. But often, Army Hammer's character isn't around, or he's working on something else, and so they they set the table for him, and then they're like, "Oh, it's kind of rude that he didn't show up," you know. But he probably has no idea. Right. Um. Also, with slamming the juice, so this is kind of a sidebar, but I went to Germany when I was uh, in my, like, freshman year of high school, and I visited some friends, and I remember we sat down, and they had some kind of dessert, and I can't remember what it was, but it was, like, a piece of cake, and it was pretty small, and, and I ate it, but I finished it before everyone else, and it was hysterical to them. They were like, well, there's more if you want it. You must have really liked that, and they kept teasing me about it and I felt so awkward it's like I didn't know I was supposed to like take little bitty bites of it you know but here it's like you know you you take a brownie and you eat it you're not like "Mm, let me just savor it taste little bitty bits of it or something well I also think like sugary treats are more like a like they're a treat right and it's something you don't have often Mm -hmm. um in different countries and yeah but that's exactly what happens to army hammer a lot because mm-hmm. he'll just like eat it really fast or he'll like drink it really fast and they're like oh you really like that do you want more uh-huh. and then he'll have he'll have to say like oh no like i know myself because like i just won't stop right almost like he's a glutton or something <laughs> which i love it sets up that very like again yeah this kind of like macho american young also a little man. self-indulgent oh absolutely yeah. absolutely um and he he does come across as pretentious, absolutely, like his character does. I think both of them do, Elio and Oliver, because Elio's very well-read, and he's a musician. Um, he does different interpretations of, like, Bach throughout the film, which is 
to me, something I never would have been doing at 17 years old. Yeah, right? very academic, pretentious. Mm-hmm. They all can speak multiple languages. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that comes across with both of those characters. And so they do have, like, a clashing at the start. Yes. And it definitely, I think, matures Elio's character as well so he doesn't really feel like 17 they definitely both characters feel pretty on par with one another it doesn't like emotionally and mentally it doesn't feel like there's much of a gap there right because I think that academic like he he sits around and like writes music like he just it makes him seem worldly and right. like speaking all these different languages because I think he's like oh yeah French Italian English mm-hmm. yeah. which I, I believe Timothy Chalamet actually does speak a couple different languages, like French. He learned Italian for this film, uh, but I can't remember what else it was, but I was reading that he knows several languages. But it gives is, the character that life experience. Like, right. They make very clear that he's only 17, but his mm-hmm. character is, seems more developed and um, has that life experience that an older person would have. Right. At least to to me in my it experience like it, yeah. I didn't know many 17 year olds that spoke like three or four different languages yeah and could write not. music and chose to do it during their summer vacation <laughs> just saying no everybody just had like a C in Spanish and they were you know over the moon because they were at least passing right like that's it's just something that I think especially in American culture we don't prioritize that right either so just kind of a, a difference there too but you know the the real like sexy bits of the movie start with some really innocent like shoulder touching that happens between the two characters but it's just enough to really start us get quite to get questioning like hmm what's that about is there something is there not it does have a really slow progression um because yeah you go through those phases at first the two characters maybe aren't super fond of each other. There's some cultural differences. Then they sort of build the bond together. And then you get these hints of romance that in a way kind of come out of nowhere, but they also naturally progress. Mm -hmm. There are really small moments of like Elio kind of tips over on his bike when he's getting on and kind of bumps into Oliver who, like, has his shoulder, and he's like, oh, you're okay, you know, sort of thing. And that's not a sexy moment by any means. It's just kind of a tender moment. Mm-hmm. So I think you have these um, exposing tender moments that build and build and build until, you know, you really get into, um, yeah, their relationship, a romantic relationship that starts to form with one another. Um, there's a review that I was reading and I really love the way that they put kind of how this movie makes you feel and says, call me by your name. is not a tragic movie. It's not a sad movie. It's not a pretentious movie. It's a movie about love and love and love, a beautiful love that will leave you longing to find your own love and drown in it, which I really appreciate because there are moments that make me quite sad and, but it's not. It's not a kind of sad that, you know, is because of mourning or loss. It's it's a sad because of the struggle of loving someone and figuring out your identity and being a little afraid of that, too, because it's very clear that Elio is not comfortable with, you know, his sexuality. And even Oliver at the time, you know, kind of says, we can't do this. Like, it's, 
you have to keep that on the inside, essentially. Like, we're not able to express this to one another. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a living in secret sort of thing. But what I really, really appreciate is the relationship with the parents. So Oliver is coming to work with Elio's dad. And Elio has a really good relationship with his parents. Mm-hmm. And it's very obvious, I think, to his parents sort of what's starting to go on. But they're so supportive in a very subtle way. Yeah. Like, they don't make a big deal out of it. They just genuinely care about their son. And I thought that was really beautiful because they don't make a big deal about it. And with a lot of these films, LGBTQ+, when you're talking about identity, you know you end up being kind of in a situation where, like with your film, A Fantastic Woman, she's constantly trying to, you know, explain herself. She has to constantly, like... Yeah, she's questioned all the time. Like, yeah, clearly, it's like she just wants to be accepted. It's terrible. So when you have something like this where there's not a lot of questioning that happens, it's just acceptance in, like, the purest form it feels really really nice and mm-hmm. and kind of tender um but I'm, I'm curious so that was the first time you've ever you've not seen this film before so what what did you think about call me by your name so i thought it was beautifully shot i really love the cinematography um of course it had a beautiful beautiful setting of the italian countryside um yeah i definitely liked the summer of love coming of age vibe um i didn't know what to expect i mean i knew vaguely what it was about but yeah it was very like yeah summer of love which i thought was and in the 80s i liked Mm -hmm. that too like endearing yeah it was very endearing and and yeah i would call it melancholy Mm -hmm. it was definitely a melancholy movie and yeah for some reason I really thought Stanley Tucci was in it I have no idea why um I thought he was the dad and it definitely that was not Stanley Tucci it was somebody else I could see that though like Stanley Tucci could have been in it yeah as the dad but yeah, yeah. um this it had a very slow pace like mm-hmm. I was noticing that a lot of shots lingered mm-hmm. very very long um but I didn't mind it And it also didn't help that my internet was super slow the entire time. And it just kept, like, stopping and buffering. And it's about two... It's over two hours. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, kind of a longer movie. Especially at a slow pace. Yeah. Um, I loved, loved the dance scenes with uh, Love My Way by the Psychedelic Furs. Like, I don't know. I just loved... Because there's multiple scenes of Army Hammer just dancing and it's so 80s and he's wearing these short shorts and he's just like and it's like a uninhibited type dance Mm -hmm. like you can tell like he just has such joy Mm -hmm. like especially with that song in particular um so I love the soundtrack I love Suchin Stevens I've always loved him and he's kind of I feel like the king of melancholy like Mm -hmm. his songs just have that sad melancholy feel to it I wouldn't call it emo per se, but, um, but yeah, I love Sufjan Stevens so much. Um, I thought it was, yeah, interesting how the film really went back and forth between English and Italian, Mm -hmm. and it did throw me off. Like, I felt like I had to keep up, Mm because it was striking to me how a character would speak in Italian, and then somebody would respond in English, Mm -hmm. or vice versa. Like, they were just constantly, like, going back and forth with languages, which... It took me a while to, like, 
get into that flow of reading the subtitles and like actually listening to what they're saying. Um, and I also loved Elio's look at the end. I felt like he kind of had this like flock of seagulls hairstyle going on because it was like three years later basically mm -hmm. and um, so it, it would have been like 1986 so we're kind of veering towards the late 80s and yeah he had this like hair that was just so great like I can't describe it but it was kind of on the flock of seagulls mm -hmm. like side of hairstyles so I really, really liked that. Yeah, the visual, the the way that they set us up was really great. Like, because you're in the early 80s, but you're also in early 80s Italy. Italy, right. Right, so it's a little difference. It's pretty European, but there are also, like, these old cars and just these moments that definitely put you into the 80s, which... It's mm -hmm. really fun. Like, it adds another layer to it, I think. Not only are you in a foreign country, but then you're also in a different decade. And you also have an American and a European family. You know, it just it has a lot of layers to it, which I think is really cool. Um, so they did, they shot this all with one lens. It was 35 millimeter. So part of why they did these, like, lingering shots was because they wanted to give kind of this POV perspective. Mm -hmm. So they did a lot of handheld, which I yeah. thought was interesting. And they wanted it to feel like you were in the room, kind of like a fly on the wall. And seeing things that were pretty personal that you wouldn't usually see. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just wasn't as well crafted, right? It, or, or set up. It was just very personal, which... I, I thought it was really interesting. Even the opening credits, like everything was shot on 35 millimeter and on film. Which That's amazing. Very cool. Um, the film premiered at Sundance in 2017, so not super surprising. It did really well. And then it's um, on its premiere night, the movie received a 10-minute standing ovation. Wow. Which was the longest ever standing ovation um, at the New York Film Festival. Holy cow. So that was really cool. Um, in 2018, it was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Tim Timothy Chalamet, uh, Best Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures, an original song. Um, what, Su I'm going to say it wrong. Sufjan Stevens? Sufjan. Sufjan Stevens. I kept trying to pronounce it, and I got it wrong, um, for Mystery of Love, and won an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for James Ivory. So this was based on a novel. Um, oh. So, yeah, this whole thing is based on a book. It's and, actually, yeah, the beginning credits did say based on a novel. Yes. And I yeah. think it was all in Italian. Like, all the, like, the, the text for the opening credits was all mm -hmm. in Italian. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's interesting, there... There are definite differences, it sounds like, between the book and the film, particularly the the lack of nudity. So in the book, I think that there are some sex scenes and some full frontal nudity and things like that. And so I think they decided with the movie that it took away from the innocence of the coming-of-age story. Like, it just felt like it built 
up that passion better if you didn't have that, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then both actors, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer, had in their contracts they wouldn't do full frontal nudity. Right. Which I thought was also interesting. I mean, not bad. It just was interesting that they decided that they weren't going to do that. Um, and so they shot over 35 days, but 18 of those days, it was like raining or super overcast. So it's really interesting when you watch the film that it's this beautiful, sunshiny summer Mm -hmm. because most of the days were super overcast. They had to do all kinds of lighting because it ended up being this like really unexpected, um, like rainstormy kind of period of time, which never happens. They were like, this happens like once in a century in Italy. That's insane. Well, they did have a lot of nighttime scenes, and I would also imagine they would do a lot of indoor uh, filming as well, because there were lots of scenes that were inside the house, yeah. or like in the estate. So Right. Yeah, so they definitely had to switch it around. Um, they also... So... We talked about Timothy Chalamet learning how to speak Italian for the film, but he also learned how to play piano. So all of those pieces were actually played by him. Yeah, it wasn't the strategic close-up of the hands. Like, he was actually yeah playing uh-huh. the piano. <laughs> and so both actors, uh, Hammer and Chalamet, didn't audition for the film. They were chosen to play it um, by the director beforehand. And later, you know... He had thought about casting LGBTQ actors because neither one of them are, um, which kind of bothers me. Honestly, I, I think that it's important to have that representation, especially with characters that are LGBTQ. Um, or actors that are, or, yeah, have actors. Have who actors are, yes. who are, play mm-hmm. characters who are, you yeah. know? yeah. Um, but they also, they both perform so well in this, and I think part of it is because they're still exploring their sexuality. They're not, like, explicitly, like, yes, I'm attracted to men. This is a surefire thing for me. It's kind of like, I'm attracted to you, and we're figuring it out. So having two straight men play that character kind of adds some, some nuance to it as well. For sure. Um, and so the, the director and the screenwriter are both openly gay. And so I think that definitely affected the writing of and directing of the film as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. So I, you have some representation there still. Yeah. A little disappointed that our main characters weren't played by LGBTQ actors. Um, but they both really jumped into the role and they were open to whatever direction they were given on that. So I thought, I thought they both did a great job. Yeah. I thought the casting was great. Everyone in it was, was very good. I love the parents and how, yeah, supportive they were and kind of subtle. It was like a very nurturing, like gentle paired parenting vibe. And I do remember there was a scene where Timothy Chalamet's character. So Elio, like they're just sitting, having lunch and it's him, his dad, and then Oliver. And he's just like, oh, I almost had sex with a girl last night. And they're like nonplus. The dad's like, oh, really? So quirky. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but that really is, like sets up 
the relationship that he has with his dad in particular. But that scene was like, oh, oh, okay. What <laughs> like, a very... What an interesting open topic. <laughs> yeah. I think that also plays a part in the character, his character particularly being... So while they set him up as being this fairly emotionally intelligent, immature um, 17-year-old, at the same time, he does stuff like that. And you're like, you're kind of a dumb teenager. Yeah, he definitely has, like, awkward moments, like these physical, this physicality. Mm -hmm. I don't know, he kind of, like, falls over or he'll, like, dance around a little bit. Like, I don't know, he his. That character's physicality is really, really interesting. It's quirky. Yeah. It's very You can quirky. tell he's very much, like, trying to figure out, figure himself out. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, loved. Loved it. I'm glad I got to watch it. Glad I got to watch two movies that I've never seen before, so. Me too. Yeah, I think both of these were great. Highly suggest you watch one or both of them if you haven't seen either. Or watch them again. I think that... You know, it was really nice watching Call Me By Your Name again, and A Fantastic Woman is, yeah, there's so much nuance in that that I think if you were watching for a second time, there are probably things that you would see and notice that you hadn't noted before. Um, so yeah, both great films. I, I loved this pairing. I thought it was great. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Happy Hour Film Club. As always, please like subscribe if you haven't already, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. We have new episodes every other week. We drop on Tuesday mornings. You can DM us with any suggestions for films, themes, topics that you'd like us to discuss or explore. Um, always leave us a comment too. We post about every new episode that we do and Tell us what some of your favorite movies are um, or suggestions for what we should watch, TV shows, etc. We love checking out new things. Um, also, when you leave us a review, it makes us more relevant so that people can find the podcast. Also, if you follow us, then it will let you know. Your podcast platform will let you know when a new episode is up so you don't have to go searching around for us, um, which just makes it easier for you. Uh, so yeah, let us know what you think of this week's episode and thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.